know, it's hard to believe that we are almost halfway through February. Think about that. It's really, you know, Valentine's Day, the 14th coming up, it pretty much tells you we're nearly halfway through the month of February. Uh, actually, I did a little math today. It being the 11th day of February, it means that we are now uh, 11% of the way through 2024 already. Nuts. Uh, which, you know what that means? You know what that means? It means that we have all had ample opportunity to blow our New Year's resolutions. Right? When you, when you think about that, you know, how much time has already gone by. Um, researchers will tell you that some 23% of people are done with those resolutions by the end of the first week. Uh, 43% of them are done by the end of the first month. It is February 11th. I don't know what the percentage is now. I'm thinking it's, we're probably up, you know, maybe near 50. I don't know. But you know what that means? As I just look, think about this crowd, you know, and, and many of you in this crowd. Um, it means that we have had ample opportunity to experience profound struggle in our once found, now flagging resolve to read our Bibles. Right? Because that was what we meant to do, a lot of us, in the, at the beginning of, of the year. So a lot of good intentions. Many of us are running on fumes, if not just flamed out. You know, that, that app that, that you loaded that was seemed like the thing. Um, that uh, guide that all your friends said, oh, yeah, this, this is the one that's done it for me. Or, or this book or this website or this, you know, Bible with all the columns or whatever, you know, the plan. It seems so good at the time. It seemed like this is going to, this is the year, Charlie Brown, you know, that, that I'm going to read my Bible. Um, what's, going, what's going on with that? Um, as I said at the beginning, we're going to start just here now this morning, a, a short mini-series on the topic of reading the Bible. And I want to begin, we, we will eventually get to how. You just have to keep coming because I won't tell you which week we're going to do that. We're going we're gonna to get to the how eventually. But before we get to the how, we have to start digging down into the foundation and start thinking why. Why even bother? What's the point? What are we even talking about when we're talking about uh, reading the Bible? Now, to get to that, we're going to look together at an ancient poem. We call it a psalm, written by uh, a, a Middle Eastern king uh, some 3,000 years ago. We call him David. Uh, David as the author of this psalm, Psalm 19. We're actually only going to look at the roughly the first half of, of the psalm, which is kind of the introduction to this whole series, and I'll explain that as, as we go. Uh, but if you have a Bible, I'd invite you now to turn to Psalm 19. Uh, it's on the screen there, uh, so you can certainly follow along that way. Uh, but Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6, that's as far as we're going to go today. Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6, if you're trying to find that in your Bible, I would say, roughly speaking, just open it up halfway, you're probably there. If not, go a little to the left, and you'll probably hit it. 150 Psalms. Uh, we're in Psalm 19. Hear now God's word. The heavens declare the glory of God, 
and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Can we pray for a moment? Lord, thank you for this time uh, that we have here to look into this passage and to, uh, even as we examine it, we ask that you would examine us. We ask that you help us to, to really hear, uh, to truly hear and to hear deeply and to process not just broadly and at an intellectual level the implications, but at a heartfelt level uh, what this means for, for us, for us. Um, I thank you for this psalm. Would you help us now, we pray. Amen. So what do we have when we're thinking of nature? What is nature? The ancient man uh, thought of it, whether you're thinking in terms of the things down below or the heavens up above, the ancient man thought of uh, those things, nature as a, as a whole, as being something to fear, as something to honor, as something to worship. That was the perspective of the ancient man. Modern man is completely different, not to worship it, but rather to study it, to understand it and therein to manipulate it as best we can. And we do a pretty good job, air quotes, of manipulating. The ancient man uh, was desiring to, um, well, the ancient man's perspective, I'll put it this way, in, in many respects saw little distinction between the things of this earth, the creation, the, the, the nature, and the creator or creators, the gods that they had in, in mind, little, little distinction. Whereas in our case, modern man, even if we have any view of God, those things are utterly distinct and utterly devoid of any commonality and, and overlap whatsoever. One doesn't have anything to do with, with the other. That's how the modern man tends to think. Now, ancient man got, gets into a whole bunch of trouble with his perspective. You think in terms of the terrible ideas and the horrible practices that that entailed, sacrifices of all kinds, human included. Modern man, how are we doing? Is our perspective really taking us into more? No, it's not taking us into a more positive place because yes, we've separated, but what happens when, because we've separated, what happens is we objectify everything. We objectify, we treat people as objects. We treat the creation, nature as an object, again, to be understood and manipulated. And you think in terms of just even our own lifetime to say nothing of the whole 20th century and this part of the 21st century, but just even our lifetime. Just look at our history. How well are we doing in treating people and the world around us as an object to be manipulated? Just pick up the front page and you can see how well we're doing. So we need another perspective. We need the scripture's perspective, God's perspective, where God is on the center stage, where he is not being confused with the stage, but nor is he being thrust behind the curtain. And just as a non-actor, 
We need the perspective of the psalmist here as we find here in Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. We need to understand that creation, it is indeed that, by the way, a creation therein, backstory, creator. That the creation testifies to something. Creation directs our attention to something. If we'll have but eyes to see and ears to hear. Creation gives us a demonstration of something. Again, if we will have but eyes to hear, see and ears to hear. What? What does creation testify, direct, and give a demonstration of? Well, the psalmist tells us here of who God is, that's the first part of that first verse, and what he has done. Creation itself testifies powerfully to who God is and what he has done. You see it just with the first verse there. Just as, just as the work, the handiwork of any artist does, testifies to who they are and what they've done. Now, as I said at the beginning, alluded to this already, you know, this is the beginning of a series in uh, God's revealing himself through his word. He has indeed spoken. And we, ha we have it right here, right here in the pages of the Old and New Testament. And we're going to get to that, Lord willing, in, in, in the coming weeks. But for now, I'm just going to camp out on this. How is he speaking not just through his word but through his world, through what he has made? All creation is speaking. Here's the implication. All creation is speaking. We need to tune our hearts to its message. All creation is speaking. We need to tune our hearts to its message. Now, how is it speaking? The two points you can see there in your, in your outline, through giving a continuous message that never ends, it's ongoing, and through giving a universal message, it's everywhere. It's all the time and every where this, this message. So let's look at this together, just moving through these first several verses of this beautiful poem. It's, this is a continuous, ongoing, never-ceasing message on 24-7, Psalm 19, verse 2, day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. David begins here by speaking of the sun, that bright light up in well, not so bright today, but uh, that bright light up in the sky, its power, the light that it gives, the heat that it, it gives, um, the, the, the imagery here being something, something irrepressible, like a spring that refuses to be bottled up, stopped up, dammed up. The, the sun is just pouring forth speech, revelation. Especially when you consider the where and when this was written in the ancient Middle East, where the skies tend to be relatively clear most of the year, most of the time. So the sun, the sun speaking by day. But that's not all. David goes further. He says there's a messaging that goes on at night as well. Uh, he speaks of the moon. You think in terms of what, what are phases of the moon? You may be thinking of the, the, the quarter, the half, the full. And that reflection off of that sun at night, bringing light down upon the face of this earth, such that oftentimes we can see and make our way 
around even in relative darkness. The moon, the stars, how much more can we see now today, literally, see today that the, the heavens above are not testimony to the emptiness of everything, but the fullness of everything. Because we can see how many stars there are. Even in our own little galaxy, the Milky Way, it's estimated there are some 100 billion stars in our galaxy. That's a lot of zeros. Probably the calorie count of what you'll eat snacking tonight. The 100 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy alone, and because of recent advances in, through the telescopes, the Webb telescope, and before that, the Hubble, we know that there are some, this isn't just an estimate, here's a wide range of an estimate, but here you go, Two, between 200 billion and 3 trillion galaxies in the observable universe. Now how many zeros do we have? I don't know. I didn't count that up. That's a lot of testimony. A full universe. The idea being that, that all of this is continuously uh, testimonying, uh, giving testimony, declaring, revealing the glory of God, who He is and what He has done. And that, this may be a challenge to us. This may upset our apple cart, but the reality is there's a parallel here being drawn between the role that our words play and that we reveal something of ourselves. There's a parallel between our words and God's works and His revealing of Himself just in what He does has done and is doing. Which is to say that we can learn a lot about creation. We can also learn a lot from creation. In fact, let me just go a little further, if you really want to be in a position of learning well about creation, you would do well to start with learning from it. Where did it come from? Whose is it? If you really want to be in the right position of understanding it, beginning at that point. Jonathan Edwards, the great preacher, teacher, theologian, philosopher, some would say, by the way, that he's the most brilliant mind ever originating from this part of the world, North America, still today. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, all his life was captivated by nature. It's probably not the image you have from junior high in high school, your uh, American literature and civics and whatnot. But um, he was captivated by nature, wrote something in 1723. It's known today as the spider letter. I'm going to read you a little bit from it. And note how he, he uh, the, the imagery that he used. By the way, I'll just say that when, as I was reading over this even this week, it, it's almost like he's watched, just watched the Spider-Man movie because what he's describing here is the, the wonder in how the spider... Uh, will uh, anchor to one starting point, right? Think Spider-Man. You know, anchors to one point and then throws the web to another, releasing this and retracting over here and apparently flying. And Edwards is watching this with great attentiveness with this little spider. He's getting a theology lesson through the spider. This is what he wrote. He said, what, what am I seeing here? The lessons about God, the wisdom of the creator in providing the spider, providing of the spider, excuse me, the wisdom of the creator in, prov in the providing of the spider, and second, get this, the exuberant goodness of the creator, who hath not only provided for all the necessities, 
but also for the pleasure and recreation of all sorts of creatures, even the insects. So according to Jonathan Edwards, God has in mind the pleasure and recreation, not just the provision of this for the spider, not just the provision of the spider and the provision for the spider, but the recreation and pleasure of the spider in its, he or she's brief little lifetime. So you know what that means? That a spider is never just a spider. If Edwards is right, or whatever your eyes are fixed upon in creation, that thing is never just that thing. It's a message. Now, what do you do with a message? receive it, you comprehend it, you embrace it, and you respond to it. Uh, what might we be responding to as we look out upon this world? I was thinking about these words from Colossians 1. I thought about this a lot uh, over the last several days. Uh, Paul, in writing to the church at Colossae, Colossians 1 uh, verses 15 to 17 puts it this way. He, he's referring to Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things, spider included, hold together. So maybe, maybe some things that we could some thoughts generated as we look out and go out you know, for a hike uh, on a trail this afternoon or later this week or sit on a dock and look out upon the starry host at 2 a.m. or whatever it is. You fill in the blank, but perhaps a thought, something along these lines. How good of God to do this? And just let that Roll with that. Drill into that. If that be true, how good is he in the rest of your life? How good of God to do this? What kind of God would do this? Wondering, adoration, praise, thanksgiving, gratitude, faith, hope, love. Generated, yeah, in a nature walk. Meditating upon what he's done and who therein who he is. Or if I can put it this way, turning it just a little bit. So when you think in terms of the studies of this world and the different aspects of those studies, the different disciplines, it is, it is never enough. It is never, whatever your age is here this morning, here, here in this room, it is never enough, whether as a student, in the classroom, on a, as a project, Elementary, all the way through college and university, or if your profession is in the sciences. It is never enough when asked, how does your faith inform your practice, your study, your pursuits? It's never enough to just say, well, I read my Bible, I pray for my coworkers, and I try not to lie and cheat on, my, on the results. Well, okay, I'm glad to hear that. But that's not going nearly far enough. We ought to be saying that whatever that discipline is, I will not take the posture of exploiting but exploring. 
I will take the posture of a child wanting to know the wonders of my father's work. I will take the posture of a discoverer of curiosity and wonder as to what he has done, whatever that field may be, chemistry, biology, zoology, astronomy, nutrition, geolo ge geology, physics, engineering, keep going, 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 all of them. You know what pursuing those fields do? They, pursuing those fields is eventually, really rightly understood as a pursuit of God himself. If Psalm 19 be true, it ought to be undertaken in those ways. Creation is speaking. Oh, that we would tune our hearts to its message. Which takes me to the next point. This, this messaging is not just ongoing and continual, uh, never-ending. It is never-ending in another sense in that it is universal. Never-ending in that it just keeps going wherever we look, wherever we are. There it is. There it is. David says that as well. Going on verse 3, there is no speech, no other words, whose voice is not heard their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. So he starts here with just a basic principle. Um, when it comes to voices, when it comes to speech, it's heard. Every voice, every speech, everything we say is heard. It goes out, it's, it's, it's heard. So that's the principle and the idea. Here he applies the principle to creation. Creation is speaking. Creation it has a word, if you say, something to say. It has a voice, and it is speaking continuously all the time, and it is speaking universally everywhere, which means wherever there are people, the glory of God is being proclaimed. So whether we're thinking of the uh, tribes in the jungle or the Bedouins in the desert or the Eskimo in the Arctic, or the urbanite between the towers. Or even in the suburbs, I suppose. There God is proclaiming his glory. Who he is and, and what he has done. Which then takes David into, to illustrate his point. He then moves into this language, this, this metaphor, this image of the sun. So picking up in verse 4, the last, last part of verse 4. In them he has set a tent for the sun, such beautiful poetry here, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, its circuit to the end of them. There's nothing hidden from its heat. And by the way, that will be the segue, the launching point for what he's about to say in verses 7 through 14, but that's next time. So this is the image of this, this metaphor of the sun. And in talking about the sun, David speaks, he uses the language, the image of, 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 of a wedding. And the groom, with such delight, going to retrieve his bride and at, her, at her house and the procession. And is there such joy and expectation and exultation as they go? And then he shifts the metaphor and he said, well, it's not just like that, but it's like this athlete running a race. And winning and the glory and the wonder and the victory of, of all of that and the exultation and, and celebration in, in that. And everyone can see it. Everyone can see it on the face of the groom. Everyone can see it on the face of, of, of the athlete, which is to say, next time you see a sunrise, next time you see a sunset, it is not 
just a ball of gas releasing energy. If that's all we're seeing, we are not seeing. It is a revelation of the glory of God, of who he is and what he has done. Now, here's the implication of that. So, so David is telling us here, everyone hears this message. Everyone, everywhere, all the time, hears this message. Therein, connect dots, everyone knows. Everyone hears, therefore, everyone knows. Everyone hears this message, everyone knows this message. Everyone. That's exactly, Stephen was reading from this uh, in Romans 1 just a few moments ago. I'm going to read it to you again. Romans 1, verse, starting in verse 18. This is the point of the Apostle Paul, locked in step with what David is saying in Psalm 19. Every bit as much. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Well, why is the wrath of God? What's going on? Why is God justly angry? What, what's go, just generating that? And what is this language about suppressing truth? Well, here's the, here's the truth. It's being suppressed. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Sounds like Psalm 19 to me. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So, here's the implication, so they are without excuse. For, a little background, for although they knew God, they did not honor him or give thanks to him, but they become, because we all have to worship something, anthropologists will tell you that, we are, we will worship something, every one of us, it's just not a matter of if, but what and who. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile. Here's the effect of that. They became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. It's our posture all the time. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping thing. Or put it another way, they exchanged the glory of the creator for the creation, worshiping and serving it instead of Paul is describing here is the clarity of what is seen, the razor-sharp clarity of what is seen, but the failure of the human heart to distinguish between the creator and the creation, and therein we worship the creation. And then the, and coupled with that, with that clarity of what is being seen, a tragedy therein of what is being suppressed, the knowledge that we all have. Every man, woman, and child who's ever walked the face of the earth can see this. Um, this testimony. And therein there's this enmity, this distance, this hostility between us and our creator. We don't want to hear, we hear this testimony, we don't want to hear this testimony because it's reminding us of the twistedness within and our brokenness and how we've turned, committing cosmic treason against our great king. We all know this. We all know this. We, every man, woman, child, guilty of this. Paul, Romans 1, 19. A 1 and a 19, twice. 1, 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Now reverse the 19 and the 1. Psalm 19, 1. 
But David says here, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. You know, that, that really does help us understand the resistance that we see to the gospel. All around us, all the time. And it helps us to understand that, that it's never enough. Sound arguments are never enough. Good points are never enough. Strong persuasion is never enough because we're talking about something spiritual going on here. Because the evidence is right there. The testimony is right there. It's being suppressed. No matter who we're thinking of, they don't have really an excuse. They know better. I know better. You know better. We all know better. It tells us something about that resistance. But I also have to say this. If, if you're here this morning and you feel like, well, maybe this is giving some, me some insight into my own heart, though I'm I feel like I'm pushing and pulling here. I hear you, but I don't want to hear this. You may disagree that there's this clear testimony, this clear witness, this declaration and revelation. You may disagree and say, I don't, I don't think that's true. That's what he's telling you. Do with it what you will, but that's what he's saying. You know. You know this to be true, whether you will admit it or not. And my friend, your heart will forever be restless until you rest in this. The love of God for you. Creation is speaking. Oh, that we would tune our hearts to this message. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims its handiwork. I mentioned Jonathan Edwards already. I want to come back to him if I can. Um, he really did write a lot and reflect a good deal uh, on this topic of how creation speaks. And we can learn so much of the creator through what he has made. As a younger man, he came, so it was something of an epiphany one day, walking through his father's field. And after that, he, he wrote some words reflecting on all that. And this is what he said, God's excellency, his wisdom, his purity, and love seem to appear in everything. In the sun, moon, and stars, in the clouds, and blue sky, in the grass, flowers, trees, in the water, and all nature, which used greatly to fix my mind. I often used to sit and view the moon for a long time, and so in the daytime spent much time in viewing the clouds and sky to behold the sweet glory of God in these things. In the meantime... This doesn't sound like Jonathan Edwards, but it's what he said. In the meantime, singing forth with a low voice my contemplations of the Creator and Redeemer. I think that does at least a couple things. One, it blows up our caricatures of men like Edwards. But more significantly, I think it has a way of stirring up, not just blows up, but stirs up some questions. Um, what if he's right? What if this is true, what he's saying? Because, you know, what he's saying, what he's getting at here is the Christian story, the biblical account of reality. 
I said earlier that, that, you know, there's no such thing as just a spider. Let me just, I'm going to press a little further. So there's no such thing as just a sunset or a seashore. There's no such thing as just a mountain range or the Mariana Trench. There's no such thing as just stars in the galaxy or the wings of a hummingbird. There's no such thing as just the song of the whale or the howl of the wolf. Those are all revelations, testimonies, declarations of who God is and what he has done, his glory, his glory. And that's a paradigm shifter when you begin to see this world that way. And then you go a little further and you realize, literally, oh my God, and you have spoken to, revealed yourself not just through what you're have done in this world, but in what you have said and are saying in your word. And then if you'll bear with me, go a little further. Here, the, the, the great paradigm shifter, not just that he has revealed himself in his world and in his word, but this God has not just stayed off, stayed away, backed away as a passive observer, but he has moved towards us he has come near, drawn near. He has, the, the great playwright has entered the scene. The author has entered the story. He has seen the chaos of what we have made of things, the mess that we have created of it all, and drawn near. Um, author of Hebrews speaks of the wonder of this very thing. We were getting toward, just kind of teasing up against this in our discussion last hour in the adult class down the hallway. Hebrews 1, 3, speaking of Jesus, the author of Hebrews says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. That God has walked this earth. He did not stay far off, but drew near for us. Prologue of the Gospel of John. The Apostle John writes in John chapter 1, as though what the author of Hebrews said wasn't enough. John 1, verse 14. And the Word, this is a reference to Jesus, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And in this, verse 18, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made him known. These are life-changing, eternity-shifting, paradigm-blowing realities that God speaks, reveals himself through his world and his word and has come and entered into this world 
what C.S. Lewis referred to as the grand miracle. The incarnation, God taking on flesh. The implications of that in terms of what we're to be about, why we're here, how we're to be going about life, who we are, where we're going. Well, we'll get more into that in the next couple weeks. Psalm 19 goes further. But for now, let's just sit in this. Creation is speaking. We need to tune our hearts to its message. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you are speaking. Would you please give us ears to hear? Would you please give us eyes to see? That we would hear truly, that we would see truly the goodness of God all around us. The testimony to who you are and what you've done all around us. Every wonder being a word. Thank you. We entrust ourselves to you now.